0: Jim, who, who are we going to talk to now?
1: Well, we're going to talk to the author of Trust Matters, Megan Shannon.
0: Moran.
1: Just Shannon. It's hard to say. Yeah, it starts with a T, and it has it, so we don't know if we're saying it correctly. Yeah. But anyway, she wrote this book called Trust Matters. We
0: talked about it last week.
1: We talked about it last week, and um, Leadership for Successful Schools it's not every single time that we talk about a book that we get to talk with the author, but Tracy, you're just, you know... She was very kind. Getting better at networking. She was very
0: kind and willing. So we are looking forward to talking to her. So let's go ahead and give her a call.
1: We think we got it figured out.
2: Do you? Okay. Is it coming through all right?
1: Yes. Yep. And are we okay? You can hear us okay?
2: Yes, I can. Okay, yes, I good. Can.
0: Sometimes it's user error. I just have to confess.
1: <laughs> right. And it, Tracy is a... a is. You know, all sorts of roles. She's also our technical director, and sometimes <laughs> is Just spread a little too thin.
0: One little cord not plugged into the right spot, and it was my fault. But we've got it working out, and we are so excited to talk to you.
2: Well, I'm delighted for this opportunity, so I'm so grateful for you reaching out to me.
0: And we want to let you know that we actually finished talking uh, about your book just together, he and I, uh, Jim and I, because we're both, you know, uh, building level leaders, and uh, we both saw ourselves in um, in your book in many different ways, and uh, so we have that background. We're going to have that podcast before this one gets aired. But we wanted to let you know that we sort of had our own perceptions on that. And there could have been lots of errors in that uh, (laughs) podcast.
1: Misunderstandings.
0: (laughs) Misunderstandings. But we really wanted to kind of jump into it because we're so excited about the book uh, and the work. And um, just wanted to thank you again for putting it together out there because trust is such an important component of effective schools.
2: It is It is critically important. Well, I, I'm going to be fascinated to listen to that episode of the podcast because, <laughs> I, I, you know, of course, I'm always curious about how does this live out in the real world? Yeah, yeah. How does it resonate? i tried very hard to write it so that all three principles could be, uh, would resonate with people and people could see, oh, yeah, I think I've made that kind of a mistake too or... um I, you know, so I love people, I'm friendly, but I don't want to be Fred.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So now these three principles, we did wonder this, like, is it a composite of people that you've met over time to try to create these three scenarios or were they actual people?
2: Um, they were um, actual principles, except one of them was a composite, more of a composite um, than the others, just because of the information I got from the teachers I interviewed in that school. But, so, okay. Um, but they were built from, and I have to say, I I wasn't smart enough. I didn't just go out seeking, you know, uh, somebody who was high-task, low-relationship, somebody who was high-relationship, low-task, or somebody who was balanced. What I did, my, the structure of my study was to, to find, in after I would given surveys to 55 schools in this urban school district, to pick out two high-trust and two low-trust schools to do a qualitative follow-up. And... Um, and then got into that, and that's where it invented. I, I just true confessions. I didn't interview the principals themselves
1: oh. because
2: I had intended to, but the um, in the low trust schools, it was made very clear to me that that would put the teachers at risk. That they were very uncomfortable with that.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what? So they
2: are sort of my construction from people who were close to them in their schools. Sure,
1: I see. So what brought you to um, the topic of trust?
2: Well, um, that was a, a, sort of a funny story, I guess. It's what brought me to graduate school in a way. Um, the, I had started my career in a very unconventional way. I, well, I always, always knew I wanted to be a teacher, and um, so took every opportunity to try to develop those skills. And the uh, and so when I saw that at Northwestern University they had a teacher preparation program for undergraduates that was kind of on an apprenticeship model, very progressive at the time, and then something that we are rediscovering and reinventing now. Um, so I, I jumped on that, and uh, and so. I was prepared in progressive teaching methods in a very progressive way, and um just one year out of my undergraduate, I ended up starting a school with three other friends mm. in a low income community of Chicago
0: mm. Yeah.
2: So that, that was an audacious thing. You know, I now I can look back and say, well, that was absurd. Like anybody <laughs> who knew anything wouldn't have even tried to do that. You know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but it may, because this was, you know, there were not charter schools, there was not really funding. So we were just doing this right. on, largely on hand-me-downs from the North Shore schools in the North Shore of Chicago. Wow. And... Yeah, and um, and then donations, small donations, 25 and $50 um, donations from lots and lots of people.
0: Yeah, well, you so know, know what, that's how me. change gets made, right? I mean, you boldly go into land that hasn't been traveled before.
2: Yes, and part of my motivation was because as excited as I was learning all of these progressive teaching methods, you know, teaching math with manipulatives and beginning reading with what then we called language experience stories. Um, You know, I just was so on fire about all of those things. But it struck me that it seemed like it was all middle-income white kids who Mm. were benefiting from these kinds Mm -hmm. of methods. Mm -hmm. And I thought, has anybody tried this with low-income kids in urban environments? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe it's going to be a good thing for them, too. And and shouldn't we at least try?
0: Right. 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 So here you are leading uh, a a brand new school that you've opened, and then it brings you to this place where you're actually investigating trust. Did you ever find yourself in that new school setting where you were like, oh, people don't trust me, or I got this all figured out, and why isn't everybody doing it? I'm curious. How did that next step then evolve for you?
2: Well, so so I, I did that work in that little school in Chicago for 14 years. And in the meantime, we were all young when we started, you know, and and um, and, but some of my teachers were going to graduate school and they'd come back and talk about these big ideas. And I was so taken with that. And finally, for a variety of reasons, it just got to be time to move on. I said, I know what I want to do. I want to go to graduate school Mm -hmm. and I want to try to figure out. What was it that made this little school so special? People would come from the North Shore. Teachers and administrators would come to bring donations from their schools, things that they were casting off, and they they would just be there five or ten minutes and looking around, and then they'd say, inevitably, say, "This is an amazing place." Hmm. I'm like, well, I know it's an amazing place because I live here. This, this is my heart and soul. But what are you seeing? Right. What's, and so my, my burning question when I went off to graduate school is what is that? Like what was going on there? And then how can we learn more about it and how, so that we can, it can spread so that more kids can, than just the, you know, few little kids that we had in our school could benefit from that.
0: So so did you get from them any specifics where they could say, well, when I came in, three people greeted me, or I could really tell by the way people smiled all the time. I mean, did they give you any kind of evidence that would give you an idea what those characteristics were?
2: Well, back in those days, I wasn't a scholar yet. I wasn't trained. <laughs> um, so I was curious about that, but I went off to graduate school at Ohio State, and my very first... Um, term, I had a was, who was a new professor to Ohio State, Wayne Hoy, and we started. He studied his book about school climate. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, that's what it is! Like how it feels when you walk in the door. That's how yeah. people could notice it. Yeah. And then I ended up working um, with Wayne and his wife Anita to do an in-depth study of teacher self-efficacy, and I was like, oh, oh, that's part of it too, mm-hmm. because that's why my teachers are showing up and doing this, you know, really arduous work for nearly nothing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. really very poorly paid to do it. And yet they stay very, very motivated. And so it's like, that's where the motivation is coming from. It's because they know they're making a difference. And I recognized in myself as a leader that I had realized how important that was. And that's something I reinforced and told them Yeah, every day. But then when it got time to do my dissertation study, I just had sort of a gut feeling and that's where a lot of people start with the interest in trust is more of a gut feeling. It's like there's something more here that we're not talking about and researchers are not exploring, and that's trust. And hmm. I think we need to know more about it. If we're going to have more schools that are um, just warm and welcoming and, and um, vibrant places for kids and adults to learn, yeah. then we're going to need to learn how to foster trust.
0: Yeah, and and I have a question. Then we assumed in our last discussion that all of these schools were really underperforming initially when these principals came in. We Fred and Gloria and Brenda, and and was that true? Were they at least initially all about the same levels? Did you seek out similar schools, or were they different in some ways?
2: They were. They were all serving low-income communities, and um, I I couldn't say. Um, like a comparison of their test scores, but that, that from the stories I heard, they all were about equally underperforming. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know for myself, I saw a little bit of myself in all three of those and, um, it, th- to, to some extent i have to confess to you that there also was like oh winces right when i would be <laughs> like oh I, I shouldn't have done that because i could <laughs> see myself in different scenarios although going you know going back and reflecting on that that's all helping me become an even stronger leader right um but i really loved the way you you sort of created this, uh, these sample principles and hearing from the teacher's perspective was a really powerful way to help us as readers identify the, the different ways that, you know, leaders are trying to kind of take on the same challenges, right? Um, the strategy for you laying it out that way was probably the most impactful for me.
2: Well, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad that that, that was helpful to you. Um, yeah, I try to really write them as sympathetic characters because in each school, even in the low trust schools, I did talk to people who who liked these principals or initially had gotten on board with their reform initiative, and and you know were gung ho to see things get better for out of caring for their students.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, and yet it didn't work out that way when they didn't have. Attention to the importance of
1: trust. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy and I were when we were talking last week on the podcast. We're wondering um, how much uh, teacher trust of principals and vice versa um, is kind of a product of the environment that teachers find themselves in. Um, you know, there's just. A lot of bureaucracy, a lot of teachers feel not valued. We interviewed um, the author of the book Demoralized a while back mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, just this general feeling of um, of demoralization in our mm-hmm. schools. And um, so I just was wondering as I was reading this, um, you know, how much power is in the hands of principals versus...
2: Um, the system. Yeah, well, Fred and Gloria and Brenda all were were within the same system, and it was interesting um, for me to watch how district initiatives mm. played out differently in the different schools.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh wow!
2: For example, a new superintendent came in and was wanting to meet with all the principals every Wednesday afternoon. So all the principals were out of their buildings on Wednesday afternoons, and in uh, Gloria's school. The, everybody assumed she was just goofing off. That you know that this wasn't a real thing. That she just made this up, um, <laughs> so so that she could be out of the building. Where in Brenda's school, it's like we're mad at the superintendent. We need our principal here. Uh, yeah. you know she holds it together. So so I think there is you know even context certainly matters. And oh my goodness, right now in this pandemic and the just impossible decisions that school leaders at every level are having to make. Context matters a lot, mm-hmm. but behavior matters a lot too. Sure. And I think recognizing that building relationships takes time and, and valuing it enough to take that time. Um, and because all the rest of it is going to go faster Yeah, if you slow down at the beginning and take time to get to know people, to extend a sense of care for people to demonstrate your competence or expertise Yeah, that, um, all of these things are going to matter in the long run. And when you start asking people to change, to take risks, to do things differently than they've done it before, if you haven't created that safety net, it's going to be very, very difficult for people to to want to take those risks. So yeah. how
1: do, for, for people who haven't read the book out there, how do leaders go about creating trust? So how do they be more like... Um, uh oh, Brenda. Name. Brenda, that's right. How did how are they more like Brenda and less like Fred?
2: Well, to recognize that you have two things you need to pay attention to: the relationships and task. That was that was the takeaway. That's not you know the the, the overarching theory I began with, but came away seeing that this leadership theory theory could be, pardon me, really valuable in us a, in just a simple construct to say yeah. Both are important. And um, if you fall down on either one, it's going to hurt your effectiveness. Yeah. Well, when I think so of just, Go ahead. Yeah, just being a nice guy like Fred, yeah. um, and, you know, wanting so much to be be liked,
1: yeah. he's not
2: good enough. So
1: because how does the, the principal?
2: is vitally important.
1: How does the principle keep that balance between task and relationship?
2: Well, I would say um, is to privilege relationship at the beginning. Some of the research about um, trust suggests that there is a courtship period early in the relationship, the first days and weeks and months, where people are are hypervigilant, where the subordinates are really Mm -hmm. paying attention to the principal's actions. And so this is a time to really... Take the time to express care, so in my uh, to my studies and now twenty five years of studying trust, um, it, it suggests that for schools anyway, I'm not saying this is universal everywhere, although many places where I've talked people said, you know this this hits me in my personal life too. but so it suggests that there's five what we call facets of trust, five um, criteria that people are observing and monitoring when they're trying to make a decision, can I trust this person? And that is, are they benevolent? Are they honest? Are they open? Are they reliable? And are they competent? Mm -hmm. So just having that as a set now, that's a mouthful. It's a lot um, to, to be thinking, I'm a brand new teacher or principal. I just got the keys to this building. And now I have to be trying to demonstrate all of those things. But if you recognize that um, if any of them fall down, you may have really good intentions, but you're just a little overwhelmed and your time management isn't so good. So reliability, you know, starts to get hurt. Then people like, mm, you know, she means well, but yeah. but you can't count on her. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. trust is diminished. So, so that you, taking time to really think that all of the, your followers – need reassurance that you've got all five of those bases covered.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, in our conversation earlier, Jim and I were talking and I was confessing that there was one school where I went into and I took time during what I thought was that courtship period to you know, ask questions and find out what had been done before, and get feedback from staff. And I thought I was doing the right thing, but I found out later that uh, no, they were just mad at me about it because they had a previous administrator that had just told them what to do, and it was so much easier. That's at least my interpretation of it. Right now, again, um. I didn't interview everyone, but I but I kind of heard that later, where people were like. You know, others from outside of the building were hearing and sharing with me that why do why are you asking so many questions? And um, I I was saying to Jim that I think I extended that um, courtship period maybe too long, and maybe I needed to be um, more prepared to come up with kind of hard and fast decisions uh, that I didn't make because I thought I was sort of involving everyone and getting feedback. So it leads me to the question. Is there kind of a standard courtship period, uh, or maybe in one building it might go more quickly, in another building it might take longer, especially based on their prior experience with leadership? What are your feelings about that?
2: Exactly, exactly. I think that it will be variable depending on their uh, their prior experiences, You know, especially whoever has been their immediate um, previous principal that you... And it's an area where I'd like to study: is you know, what are the moves? How is it different to mm-hmm. come into a building following a well-loved yeah. and trusted principal? How you know how is it different to come in and follow Brenda versus come in and follow Gloria yeah. or right. to follow Fred? So the needs of the of the organization are going to be different depending on what were the strengths, but also what were the deficits of the previous leader?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good point. And for myself, when I think back about it, um, you know, I'm so excited about your text because it helped me put into context things that were a mystery to me, right? And I uh, thought I was kind of doing the right thing, but clearly for that group, it wasn't the the way that they wanted to respond or at least some people. Anyway, so thank you.
2: Right. This is something that my students say after I, you know, work really hard to teach them shared decision-making and have a model that guides their thinking and whatever, and they get out in the field and so many of them reported back, you know, I'm trying to do what you told me to do and involve people in decisions. And they say, you know, not interested, just tell me what to do and we'll do it.
0: (laughs) Which is unfortunate because as leaders, why haven't we created that space where that is the norm?
2: Well, I think the reason why is because while there are two motivations for shared decision-making, one is to get buy-in or compliance, and the other is to get a higher-quality decision, that we forget all about that second criteria, and we don't convey a sense that I need your input so we can get a better decision. I asked... uh, I ask from every group of students for the last twenty five years, you know, I've asked, Have you ever been in a meeting where they said they want your input? But as the conversation went on, you really realized the decision had already been made, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to get you to go along. Mm-hmm. I've never had a single person say, no, that's never happened <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just such a common practice. So I try to rail at them at that point. It's like, if you're smart enough to have figured that out, just assume that your teachers yeah. are going to be smart enough to have figured that out.
0: Yeah. But if you don't mind, I just want to point out that I felt like in my experience, my seeking information was was an indication I didn't have the
1: competence, Uh huh. you know, mm. so, especially looking at those five. Yeah. Right? When you look
0: at those five, they assumed I didn't know. And so, mm. uh, it, it, but you know, every, every school's different. Every school's experience is different. Go ahead, Jim. Sorry to jump on you.
1: Oh no, no problem. So I was just wondering, cause I was looking at your bio that, um, you were an assistant, assistant professor in the school of education at the college of William and Mary. Are you still there?
2: Yes, I'm there. I'm a full professor now. Right, it must have been an old
1: bio. Right. Well, that's from your book jacket. The, so well, I, it's been old, old okay, hardcover. Time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> has it? Yeah. Has it been updated since then? Since since two thousand four.
2: We ha- oh yes we have a there's a second edition.
1: Oh well, we better read the second edition then, Tracy, because we've only read <laughs> the first edition. Jim's just saying that because I bought him his book and
0: he's he's mad I got him an older
1: copy. <laughs> <laughs> no no no, I, it was so nice of Tracy well, there, to buy are, me the book. I'm not criticizing. Stuff.
2: Yeah, there is some new stuff in the second edition that um that of course I think adds value. So I would encourage you to. Okay. maybe skim through some of the parts that seem familiar, but especially in the second half of the book okay um
1: what did you what stuff. did what did can you give us like a little glimpse into what's been added in the second edition?
2: Yes. Uh, there's a chapter on teacher-student trust.
1: Oh, that's good. That
2: um, th- There just was more research by the time I was writing the sure. second edition. Sure. And um, that I think is critically important, and that's, in fact, one of the places that uh, I'm turning my scholarship, because people who'd read, principals who'd read the book said, you know, hey, this was great. We had a great conversation uh, you know, among the leaders in our in our book study or, or our division, whatever. But they said, "Where's the book for teachers to have the same kind of conversation we're having here?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I've sort of been commissioned, and I am <laughs> working on that. But so I have a keen interest on yeah. what are the moves teachers are making, those who are who are trusted by students, um, and what's happening with those. You know, I think it's not hard to guess what teachers are doing where students don't trust them.
0: Right, right. And I think, again, going back to your, some of your earlier statements about that school climate does impact all the way down into that kid level, right? And mm. um, teachers needing to have that trust with each other, with their leader, allows that space to have more trust. Because I think kids are intuitive and they pick up, you know, when it's a positive oh, or not they- a very positive.
2: They do, they do. And it's really painful to hear people who even who are adults who thinking back to their own um schooling mm-hmm. can say, you know, the minute I walked in the door, teacher looked like looked at me and just didn't trust me just because of who I was, because of my mm-hmm. race or ethnicity or because of how I dressed yeah, I or whatever. Yeah. And I I felt the chill. Yeah. And from that instant, like in the first thirty seconds, You know, I decided, forget it. I'm not working for this teacher. Right. You know, we're just off and running in a bad start.
1: So one of the things that we talked about last week was uh, teacher-to-teacher relationships and some of the examples that we've seen in schools just of teachers that don't trust each other and how difficult Mm -hmm. that can be. Do you have any kind of advice for our listeners in terms of facilitating teacher-to-teacher trust?
2: Yeah, it's just a skill that I think we need to prepare leaders to have because it's inevitable. You can't do work that is as complex and as close to the heart as people, uh, as teaching for mm-hmm. the people who are doing that work. And so so we need to be skilled in how do we intervene effectively to mediate a conversation mm-hmm. and a process by which um, teachers who are in conflict with each other can can come to a constructive outcome. One um, one of the emphases in my school in Chicago was teaching nonviolent conflict resolution,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so that's been a particular interest of mine through throughout the years. But um, and and I've been in schools where I was teaching that skill to groups of teachers. But what I what I learned really quickly was um, you can't don't even try to teach that. To the students, if the adults are mm-hmm. not also mm-hmm. practicing it themselves, because the kids pick that up,
0: yeah, and mm-hmm. they're
2: like, "Hey, why is this conflict resolution stuff for us and not for you?
0: right, You know, um, a- as you describe that and talking about the work with teachers and teacher teams, you know, and I'm thinking back again about the buildings that I've been a leader in, it, it makes me feel like I'm kind of doing that that egg walk where you have an egg on a spoon and you're trying to make sure the egg doesn't fall off. Right. And I feel like, Ooh, that balance between the task and the relationship is constantly shifting. And even within yeah. the teacher teams and you have like a new member that joins a team or maybe one teacher leaves one grade team and goes to a different, um, team that it, it, it is constantly in flux. And, and I'm sure. checking in if you, if that's, your been your experience, or if people have shared some of the same feelings.
2: Yes, yes, it is, and it, I mean even in the course of a day, in the course of an hour, you, you know, you're mm. you're going back and forth. Good point. And, but but recognizing both are are essential. Both are are vitally important.
0: Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I I want to put in my request for your next book.
2: Oh, tell me. <laughs>
0: I would love, now I'm working actually at the state level in the State Department of Education, and I am starting the process of helping schools in improvement, and I'm recognizing that important role of the principal supervisor, right? Mm, And in listening to these stories that we have with Fred and Gloria and Brenda, there is a role there also. So the book I'm looking for is how our principal supervisors can influence and help impact positively that trust building um wondering if you know more about that or have anything to say how could we
2: that book's already written (laughs) good news for you tell me what it is i don't know it (laughs) It, it's called i I wrote it and with my husband it's called evoking greatness coaching to bring out the best in educational leaders
1: oh Oh.
0: okay i'm writing it down i didn't even know that
1: wow so So what what do principal supervisors need to do
2: um, well, we have a coaching model, and and first is to establish that sense of connection. So our coaching model it starts with listening for stories and inviting people to tell their stories, and then expressing empathy yeah. to get to a place of connection. We're then looking for this beautiful moment we call the golden sigh, where. They feel heard, where you yeah. can see their shoulders drop, they may lean in, their head may bob a little bit, and they're like saying, yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: And so, then you know you've made that connection and can kind of move to a next level of work.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then we move into um, what we call the strengths-building turn, where we engage in the push of inquiry or a sore analysis, looking at strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and resources. Hmm. And then we go into design thinking. What's, what we're going to cook up a smart experiment not a smart goal mm-hmm. but an experiment so we cuz the goal is to learn
0: yeah
2: and not something that we can be that we can fail and get marked off you know you didn't make your goal this year yeah but go out try something new let's you know let's plan it all out well but if you go out and try something and it doesn't go the way we thought there's still a rich experience to learn from
0: Well, thank you so much, and uh, Jim. It's your Jim's turn to buy the book. (laughs) That's right. I owe you. (laughs) Well, we always end with one question, and we would love it if you'd take time to answer. If you could travel back in a time machine and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self? Besides, don't open up a school after you finish, you know, your undergrad. (laughs)
1: But you got so much out of that experience, for real. I mean, it was a good one. I
2: did. I did. I think that would not be my my (laughs) advice. But so I knew I was young and inexperienced, I think I I wish I had um, done more to partner with grownups, real (laughs) grownups, Who knew, who knew more about uh, sort of the big picture? We, we certainly had those. We had North Shore principals on our board of director and, and directors and um, people who I relied on. But in the year since, I recognized that I could have built a stronger infrastructure of expertise
1: mm-hmm. around the
2: work that we were doing. So it could have spread even further so that we could have built on it, and also so that maybe it would have lasted. We, it, after I left, it, it, the school closed two years after I left, and, it, and so it was a lack of having that mm. infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising. Small schools like that tend to close after the founder leaves, mm-hmm. but um, but I, w- I wish I'd found a way to beat those odds. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's great, um I have really enjoyed this uh conversation, and um you know we were wrong about a lot of things when we discussed it you know a week ago, but that's why we wanted to talk to to the source you know and really get your we weren't take. that wrong no, I mean we weren't you know <laughs> totally off the mark but but you really um added a lot to our understanding of your text, and I've really uh really enjoyed it and appreciated it. Will you say your name for us?
2: Yes, yeah, Sean ch- and Moran, Megan, Sean Sha- and Moran. Sha- the and first Moran. two letters of my last name are silent, so that uh, they trick you up. <laughs> it's, it's a trick question right there. Okay. But you just get to hopscotch right over those first two and jump in at the ch,
1: Chon and. and okay, because we we said it at the beginning of the podcast uh, during the introduction, and I think we said it wrong. So I just wanted to make sure we cleared that up.
0: <laughs> and I'm very excited about evoking greatness. We're going to go get that. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. We very, very much appreciate having a conversation.
2: I very much enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you.
0: Bye bye. Bye bye.